Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy Giacalone with Olympic Crest Insurance and my guest today is Esther Pippoli. For any of you that are joining me for the very first time, Recipe for Success was created because of my love of cooking, my love of business, my love of learning. And one thing that I discovered is that every single recipe that I made always had one key ingredient or technique that was very critical to the outcome or the success of the recipe. And just like in cooking, the same thing is in true is true in business and in life. There's always one thing that can really help you succeed. So um, I've taken this and talked to some amazing leaders across the country. And for the last few months, I've really been focusing on women doing remarkable things in their lives or in business. And today I am so incredibly grateful to have Esther join us. Esther is the founder of Loss of Life Advocates, and I'd like to welcome you and introduce yourself to our audience a little bit. Uh, thank you for having me um, straight to you from San Antonio, Texas, um, home of the Spurs and the best tacos. I'm sure people in Austin would argue with me. Um, but my name is Tripoli. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be sharing time with you today. Um, you know, born and raised in San Antonio, and I have a background of insurance for over 20 plus years as an account manager. Um, one year I was a broker, cried every day. I have a lot of respect for brokers. <laughs> um, so I tried it, didn't work out for me. Um, but, you know, I have a really strong background in employee benefits, which I think as account managers, you know, we are what makes a good team work work well and have success together. So I'm excited to be on your show. 100% account. We could not do it without account, account managers. It, it literally takes a village in this industry <laughs> to do our jobs. So, um your company has a very critical and unique mission, and that's to help others with the loss of a loved one. Mm -hmm. So I'd really like you to share your personal story, which is very difficult. And so I really appreciate you being willing to share it, uh, your personal story and what prompted you to start this company. Sure. It's... Um... You know, everything in the in the world in your life happens for a reason. And, you know, people hate when people used to say that, oh, it happens for a reason. But in 2013, I kind of have to go back to there. 2013, um, my my dad got really sick. And in that same year, my husband of 20 some odd years um, had decided our, our last child had, had graduated and gone off to call, uh, graduated from college. And um, he said, you know, I really want to go sail around the world. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, he was like, no, do what you want to do. And I was like, well, I think I'd like to move maybe to Denver, you know, where we get four seasons. It'll be fun. and find an account management job. So um, a huge shout out to David Mao in San Diego, who was my recruiter that found me a job in downtown Denver with an amazing agency. Um, I was part of a self-funded team and um, all in that same kind of window of all these opportunities coming together. My father um, got sick and he walked into uh, the emergency room and a little background, my daddy was the president for AARP for the state of Texas for five years, very independent, college professor, um, business executive. So I used to have to make an appointment to get on his calendar. So the day he called me and said, hey, I don't feel good. Can you pick me up and take me to the hospital? He had his, he had his luggage packed to go to the hospital. So I knew he wasn't just going in and out. Um, but he ended up getting very, very ill and was in ICU for 21 days. And that same day, I'd signed my acceptance letter to go to downtown Denver and work. And so it was one of those like aha moments, but before my dad went into surgery, he said, whatever you do, don't stop. You know, you're on a trajectory, follow your dream. You've got a career path, go do it. Um, but stay in your lane. And I, I think that was really good advice. Like, you know, 
don't worry about me, whatever happens, um, you can do this. And by the way, I want to invoke my durable power of attorney. And at the time I was like, well, what does that really mean? Right, right, <laughs> well, right. You're paying bills, you're talking to doctors, you're making all decisions. So after 21 days and um, moving into Colorado, driving out of Texas, going to Colorado, starting a new job, um, severe migraines, you know, meeting new people, and develop, you know, having to gel with a new team um, in a new city. Uh, my dad, you know, ended up getting into an assisted living facility and never went home. And so I flew back and forth uh, 18 times from Denver to San Antonio. And our good friend, Allison DePauli, who I have to always thank for everything because she's amazing. We love um, Allison. Yeah, she would call me and check in. Are you okay? Are you doing all right? What do you need? Um, and you need people like that around you to, to just kind of ground you. But uh, my dad at, passed away in, in July of 2014. And um, it was hard making decisions and starting a new job and living in a new city. And my marriage, I mean, people would say, wow, you were in going from San Antonio to Denver. Where was your husband? Well, he was back in San Antonio trying to wrap up his law business so that he could prepare to sail around the world. Um, but unfortunately, the day we buried my father, um, my husband said, I'm not going to go to the little lunch thing because I don't feel good. And I remember just kind of whipping my head around and going, wow, you really look painfully thin. And he said, yeah, I don't feel good, but I didn't want to bother you about it because um, you've been taking care of your dad. And so when I finally got my eyes on my husband, um, 10 days late from the day my, my dad died, my husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So hopping for, forward 50 days, my husband um, ended up going to Tijuana with our daughter, who was 24 at the time. Um, it was fourth quarter. So, you know, it was kind of like, hey, we really need you. Can you please stay? You know, and, and I, I made some decisions that I, I really kind of regretted because I didn't realize that that was going to be the last two weeks of my husband's life. Um, and he passed away and I ended up having to shut down a law practice and I was in Texas and I wasn't in Denver. And, you know, my boss was like, Hey, you used up all your PTO. And, you know, there, everybody was just in a, um, just in a craze, right. You know, it was very, very chaotic. And I, I learned really quickly that even with all the best benefits that you could have in place and 1-800 numbers and checklists that are given to you, it is still not enough. You need a person to walk you through you know, all the work that has to be done before, during, and after a loss. And so um, that really was the the start of, of Lola. But uh, more importantly, my husband's life insurance didn't pay immediately. I had to file a lawsuit and go through a really um, treacherous um, 840 days of trying to settle that. And once I did, um, the lawyers who fought for me and um, and got me to the finish line of my husband's life you know, handed me a check and I said, you know, this is all I have left. So what do I do with it? So my company, Lola, named after my mom, strongest woman that I know or have ever had in my life. Um, and she was my first death. Uh, I decided I was going to go out on a limb and try something new and try to start a new benefit that would help families and employers and business owners with all the details that they need to be prepared and for all the things that they need to know about what to say, when to say it, um, those conversations are hard. And I know that just from my own personal experiences, I worked for an amazing um, agency in Denver and the HR people just didn't know what to do with me. I mean, I was a mess. And in that moment, um, when I came out of everything, I realized that there was so much to learn and so much to teach, um, that those were teachable moments. And so that's that's what I do. I help employers. I, work, I help families. Um, I help business owners. Um, and we do all the work that um, everybody else doesn't do. You know, we, we walk the cemeteries, we go to the funeral homes with families, we negotiate the fees ahead of time. Um, we've walked with families that have lost babies. We've walked with families that have lost children in home house fires. Um, we've helped employers when there's been suicides. Um, so 
we, there really isn't any loss that we have not worked with um, in these last five years. So this is just so interesting. Um, so I, I lost my father earlier this year. And as a matter of fact, um, when I when as soon as we finish this this episode, I'm literally hopping in my car and driving two and a half hours to go uh, meet with my stepmom, a banker, an attorney, uh, somebody. I've got three appointments scheduled back to back to back because that was in February. The estate still isn't closed, and there's just so much stuff. And I'm a pretty organized person and pretty much able. I always thought pretty much able to get things done, mm -hmm. but. And his, his state was organized. I mean, he had a living will and trust. And I mean, you know, but still there's just so much stuff. It is hard to wrap your head around it. I didn't personally, I never knew that even an, an organization or a service like yours existed. But the other thing that I would like to point out is as an employer, especially a small employer, mm -hmm. I remember having an employee whose um, significant other died and she was a complete disaster. And I did not know how to deal with it appropriately. Because again, you get to the point of all the PTOs used up. Mm -hmm. You're a small business. You're like, I have to have a person doing this job. I don't want to be unkind. I don't want to be unsympathetic. How do I handle this? I can't just pay you indefinitely because I don't have those type of resources. So how do you work with employers? Um, I I would imagine it's easier to work with a larger employer because they have different, um, they have more resources. But let's say you are a smaller employer dealing with that situation. What are, what are some suggestions? Well, you know, I, I always, when an employee comes to me and they do work for a small employer, I will ask for permission to contact their employer and say, can I just contact them and talk to them and share what my services are? And more than likely, 100% of the time when I tell the employer, look, it's important that this person shows up to work and they're present. We can take all of the detail work that they're trying to navigate through off their plate. And we are a consultative service. So you can buy our services for five hours, 10 hours, and just consider us an arm to that employee so that they come to work, they're able to focus on their work. We also talk to them about, you know, what to say and when to say it and how to have those conversations. So, you know, we coach the employer and the employee through having the difficult conversation and using the right words you know, because words do matter. And yeah, it is hard when somebody says, look, I'm a small, I'm a small business. I can't afford to keep you on board. You're showing, you're not, you're showing up, but you're not showing up. And there's only so much of this that I can handle having an advocate to step in and say, okay, let's talk about what words we can use to make this a more effective and um, soft place. Because you're, as an employer, you, you spend so much time uh, training employees, you putting resources into them because they're the right person for the job. And then they're going through this loss and they're not the same person. And, you know, loss, what it does for sure is it changes people. They are not the okay. same person that they were before. And so when the employer can finally get their brain wrapped around, how do I talk to them? How do I communicate with them? And when they find out there's a resource like us to say, we can go and help empty the house out, pack it up. We can talk with foundation repair people. If you need to get the house ready for sale, we can talk with the cleaners. We have resources. We have lawyers. We have we can do all that that footwork for you, even down to, you know what, Mr. Employer, you have medical insurance. Let me see if I can talk the employee into utilizing their mental health benefits. So a lot of times that's those small businesses will say they don't have an HR person. So they'll come to me and say, hey, can I pay you five hours to convince them that they really need to take advantage of this benefit? 
And 90% of the time, the employees go, thank you so much, because I forgot I had EAP. I forgot I have mental health benefits, or I was thinking about it, but I can't make those phone calls. We'll make the phone calls. Having the benefits background does help because we're able to look at that, call United Healthcare, Humana, Aetna. 100%, yeah. You know what? And make this make the phone calls because what are we running into right now, especially is the lack of having the manpower to help. So an employee's leaving messages, trying to get in, trying to get the help, all on the dime of the employer. So when we take that off of them and we find them two different resources and say, look, I've called, I've talked to the counselor, they can see you, they're accepting new patients, they take your insurance, this is what the copay is going to be. These are the two available time slots. Tell me which one you want and I will I will call and confirm the appointment for you. So it's kind of like a personal assistant to both the employer and to the employee. But from the very beginning, I would just say to answer your question as a business owner, you know, finding resources to help you so that you don't have to do that. And there's so many H, wonderful HR programs out there for small businesses now that I think that um, what we do complements that. Sure. So, so from a business standpoint, you know, having the patience, but also looking for the resources to use the right words, because you don't want to lose the employee. No, you don't. And generally you care about that employee. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't want to make their situation harder. So you're kind of in a catch 22. So that's a really good, really good point. And it's really good to know you have that that resource is available. So I want to flip it to the other side. And, and again, you know, because I've just walked down this path in the last year, um, not to the extent that you did, but um, when you're the one in charge of making sure everything gets taken care of, there's not a lot of space to process your own feelings because you're too busy getting stuff done. Right. What do you say to the person to the person in charge? And because that not, it might not be the person who's listed on the sheet, not might not be be the um, the executor of the state. Because sometimes it's just there's a person that is naturally more gifted in, in doing those things and will tend to take charge. What do you say to that person as far as uh, stepping back and processing feelings and reaching out for help and support? You know, first of all, whenever I talk to um, widows or um, children that are you know left with managing the estate after both parents have passed away, you know, the first thing I ask them is, you know, have you been to your own primary care doctor? Have you gone to take care of yourself? Because this is this is going to be a marathon. Um, probate in Texas, four years if you're a business owner. You know, I had to wait. I held my breath for four years when my husband passed away because he had his own business. Um, but the very first thing I always ask him is, have you been to the doctor to get benchmarked? Because you're now no longer that same person. Your health is under siege. You know, your the grief is taking over. Um, paying attention once you've gone to the doctor and they can benchmark you. Um, whether you need some type of help, whether it's medication or the doctor can say, you know what, maybe you should spend some time doing yoga, processing those feelings and paying attention to what your body is telling you. So when people are going through having to clean out a house or you're having to get ready for this, this conversation you're going to have today with this, these multiple professionals that are going to help you and guide you through um, closing down your dad's estate, you know, paying attention to what is your body saying? And it's amazing how many people say, well, you know, I've had a lot of stomach aches. And I'm like, okay, that's when you stop. You step back and you take a minute. Um, I'm certified with the grief recovery method. And a part of a lot of their method is in listening and being able to process through because it's like a broken arm. Grief is no different than if you were to break your arm or break your leg. How long would you take to go get attention taken care? You know, go to the emergency room, go see a doctor. Grief is the same, the same way. 
you need to have help immediately. So starting with your primary care doctor, um, and if you're a large employer, or even a small employer, midsize, if you have access to short-term disability, whenever I'm talking to employers, I'm like, please offer life insurance and short-term disability because that there's benefits for grief and yeah. can help an employee during that period of time. Um, but going to that primary care, getting benchmarked, and then seeking the mental health benefits, not being afraid to say, you know, hey, I, I need help. But usually when it's that one person, um, they're kind of masking, right? They're masking those those feelings because they're used to being in control, but really being able to listen and to say to yourself, you know what, that that headache or that that my eyesight for me, my eyesight went really bad after my husband died. I could I could not look at an Excel spreadsheet. I was really bad at Excel, by the way. My former employer, my former employer was, she'd be like, ah, she'd roll her eyes at me. But um, but I was an account manager. I was the people person. <laughs> I was really great at people skills. But at the same time, I, if, if my stomach was hurting, I was like, oh, there's a reason for that. What am I feeling? What am I going through? The physical, like bruising. I've, I've been across people that have bruises, and I'm like, what is that from? And they're like, oh, I ran into something. Your body is like it's tingly, right? The, your grief is like your hair standing up on end. And um, I always recommend that when people find out that, you know, you've had a loss, our natural reaction is to hug somebody. And not everybody, when they're going through grief, wants to be touched. And that is one thing through the grief recovery method, they've taught us like, do not touch somebody, ask them for permission, if you, can, if you feel compelled to want to hug them. Um, but, you know, paying attention as the decision maker, doing little bits and pieces at a time, it is it is not a race to the finish line. There are a lot of families that immediately want to go clean out, get things done, you know, get the house listed. Um, they want to see money coming in. They want to get it off. They want to get this, this part of whatever's happened in their life past them. And it is a process, you know, and you need to be patient and listen to your bodies because I think that um, there's a, I would believe in my my heart that there is a strong correlation between grief and high blood pressure because I live in that world. I, I can believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, you just brought up something so interesting and I would have never thought of it is to have that baseline check with your doctor after a loss so that you can monitor what's happening with you. That's just brilliant advice. I I, I will share that with anyone that, that I come into contact with in the future on that one. That's really good advice. Even as an employer, that's something that as brokers, um, as advisors and consultants, that they should be saying, you know, to their to their employers, hey, if you have a loss, the first thing, if you if they're on your medical insurance, tell them before they come back to work, go see your doctor, get yourself benchmarked, because then you're not going through this in and out, in and out thing. Yep. Come back to work that you're actually taking that extra step to say, I really want to make sure that you're a hundred percent. I'm not going to make it a qualify like you have to do it, but um, I think that as an employer, it shows that you care. Oh, I agree. That's really, really great. Okay, take a deep breath. I knew this was going to be a, an emotional one for me. Um, so let's talk about some steps everyone should do to prepare for a death in their family. Um, so maybe they see it coming. Maybe somebody is in assisted living or moving that direction. Um, or to assist their family in the event of their own death. What are some practical things everybody should do? You know, um, everybody always thinks that getting their legal documents is the I've got it prepared. My financial my financial advisor has it <laughs> ready for me. Um, the lawyer, you know, I've got everything, all the documents ready. Uh, it's not that. I would tell you that one, if you have your legal documents ready, that's great. Also, have a bank account set up for whoever your executor is to have money set aside to 
bury you, if you haven't prepaid or preplanned your funeral or to cremate you, um, having money for probate, if you have a will or a trust, chances are you're still going to have to go through a probate court. That can be costly. In Texas, if you have a will, it can be about two to $3,000. So then you have an estate and your executor going, where am I going to come up with this money? Right. You know, because I'm, I'll be your executor, but <laughs> where, where am I going to find $3,000? You know, and so people get caught with that or they go to the funeral home and things aren't prepared and they're having to look at the money situation. Um, bank accounts, if your banks are not styled correctly, when they find out that the person has passed away, they will freeze accounts. And even if there's a POD payable on death assigned to that account, nothing gets touched until there's a death certificate. And nowadays, even the letter of testamentary. So really being able to set up set up your executor or whoever's in charge with make sure the banking is set up correctly, make sure there's an account set up correctly, not just your legal documents. Um, many people get confused that the power of attorneys die with that person. And then the executor doesn't start until probate <laughs> comes into play and you're appointed as an executor. So there's that window of really awkward uncomfortableness of, of time, you know, where people are like, well, okay, so mom died, the house is empty. What does that mean? Um, I don't like my brother. He just moved in. He's squatting. All these family things come into play. So really having that conversation ahead of time um, with your loved ones to say, you know what, in the event something happens to me, this is what I want done. Uh, I, I also recommend if you're going to um, be, if it's the last parent to die, change the locks on the house. It's not to lock everybody out. It's just to say, you know what? We're all going to get new locks. We're going to re-key re the house so that nobody goes in and gets something. I've had friends that have had gun collections or their, all of their dad's suits or memorabilia just disappear. Yeah. And the family's like, oh, my God, you know, how do I confront this person? Or how do I, you know, so there are things like that. Um, having, but having the conversation, having your banking, having something set up, um, your funeral arrangements, of course, if you're a veteran, having your DD-214, which is your discharge papers, somewhere where your family can find them so they can get them to the funeral home is important. Otherwise your loved one is, is not going to be able to be buried at the, at the military site. Um, so, you know, that's something else to think about. There's so many, I could go on the list just kind of goes on and on and on because depending on when families come to me, if it's a diagnosis with cancer, you know, when I, one of the first things I say is where are the passwords, who's going right. to, pay even during COVID, you know, people would go in and um, I was on a, a call with a gentleman here in San Antonio and he said, I knew I was going into the emergency room and I could potentially die. And he was one of the first, very first COVID um, patients in San Antonio that was seriously ill, was pretty, pretty popular person here. Um, but he said he sat down for an hour and told his wife where everything was. And yeah. it wasn't until that moment that he's like, here I am thinking I'm going to die. And I don't, I mean, I have a will, but I was calling my best friends and saying, Hey, if something happens to me, can you help my wife? You know, and then I always tell people when they say my financial advisor will take care of my wife. I'm like, how well do you know your financial advisor? Yeah, that's that's been really interesting. Um, like I say, um, my dad had everything pretty well in order. However, his wife didn't really have a clue about any of it. They had never really communicated about where where all the finances were or what you know, how everything was was set up. Fortunately, or unfortunately, they did have a little book with all the passwords written down in it. So, um, you know, we were able to access things. But when you speak about the financial advisors, that was another issue that we encountered because they immediately descend kind of like locusts on the surviving spouse to make sure that, A, they're going to still retain that business. And one of the first things one of them did before 
I told her not to do it was they took my dad off the account because he had, you know, was deceased. And it's like, he wasn't supposed to be taken off any of the accounts because until the, until the estate is closed in the event, anything needed to be done. And then of course it had ended up becoming a little bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So since, since I'm going to see the attorney today, what are some key, and I mean, we're almost done, but what are some key questions or things that people should think to ask right away? What are the first, what are the first questions that, okay, maybe they're not prepared, somebody has passed and now they, they have to figure things out. Um, Obviously they need to call a funeral home and they probably need to call an attorney. So what are their very, very first steps? You know, um, I always tell people, what's your budget? Before your loved one is even passed away, if you know they're going to be passing away and you're, it's coming, it's impending, right? You're hours away from it. Or, you know, the doctors have told you that we're making them comfortable. We're giving them morphine. We're, we're easing them into the transitional phase. Having the conversation about budget is really important before you have your loved one picked up and taken into a funeral home's care. Um, I partner with a lot of funeral homes. I have a lot of respect for them. But I also have a lot of respect for clients that don't have the budget and end up having to take out of their own personal 401ks or take loans out um, or finance a, a funeral service when le- they can find out, like in San Antonio, um, if you're in hospice and you die on hospice care, there is, a, there is a funeral home that can cremate your loved one with no services, direct cremation for $499. It may be $499, $599, may have gone up during COVID. Um, but there are, you know, knowing the budget is super important. And then when you reach out to an attorney asking them, okay, so you give one hour of consultation. I want to come in and interview you. I always recommend interview a couple of different attorneys before you you are set with one. I went through almost three probate attorneys before I found the right one because everybody was willing to take my money, but they weren't communicating to me. I didn't understand what probate meant. I didn't understand what my role as an executor was. Um, So being able to sit down with an attorney and say, explain this to me, make sure you have a good relationship with them, that you feel like there's good communication between you and them, because uh, eventually attorneys get busy. You stop getting phone calls with them. Um, Maybe you don't even get invoices. You just get a, hey, it's time for another retainer fee to be filled. Mm -hmm. You know, so I need more money. And you're like, well, what did you do? So having those three, you know, uh, interviews with attorneys to shop for price. So shopping for price for funerals, shopping for prices for attorneys. The, the fees vary. And when an attorney, you tell them, hey, I'm interviewing two or three just to make sure I guarantee you they're going to be very um, happy to accommodate whatever financing you need. You know, hey, most most of them will start out at four to five thousand dollars. I just got finished helping a client up in Seattle. And so I did that for her. She got recommendations from friends for attorneys and I made the phone calls and said, OK, what tell me what your process is. Tell me your interview. Tell me your face to face. We're in COVID. What can she expect? Um, how long is this going to take? So even that, when you're talking with attorneys, asking them, how long is this process going to be? Because I need to tell my, if there's other heirs, hey, we can't, I'm not going to be giving money out until all the, all the debts are paid. When the attorney tells me that I can have a free and clear, that's when I'm going to be writing the check. So really having a clear understanding of what your duties are as an executor and having the understanding of what attorneys are going to do for you, what their communication style is um, and how long it's going to take. And then of course, you know, when somebody's going to pass away, having that open line of communication with the hospice company or the hospital, um, and then knowing what your budget is going into a funeral, because that that is a very big expense. And I've walked people through and done assignment of life insurance from an employer 
um, to a funeral home and telling a widow the life insurance is assigned. You can go in there and just so you know, whatever you don't spend comes back to you. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden they look at that $25,000 employer paid life right. insurance on their husband and go, okay, so if I spend 5,000, I get 20,000 back, which right. I need for me and my kids. Yeah, that's, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about another couple of practical matters. Um, what about when there's a business involved? So you went through that with your husband. I have a business, which I do not have partners. So if something were to happen to me, how does that, you know, what are the next steps? I, you know, I'm married. So my husband would of course take, but he's not actively involved. So what are practical steps for business owners? So right now I'm actually working with a lady whose husband passed away in San Antonio um, and he was a pest control. He owned a pest control company. She was operations. He was the front end of the company. And um, fortunately, when he passed away, she is now the CEO of the company. So having to look at their how what the formation of their business is. Right. So as a business owner, if you're trying to prepare ahead of time, you're looking at the protocols of an office. Something happens to you. What communication do you want to go out? One to your employees. To, to your clients, because you don't want to lose clients when they find out that you've passed away. Right. I mean, what is your formation? If you have an LLC and you don't have two people in that company, even if even if one person has 1% of that LLC, that is enough for one person to be able to take over the business if something happens to you. So having the appropriate conversation with your CPA and with your attorney to have a legacy plan in place as to what will happen, having the conversations with your key employees to say, look, if something happens to me, if I'm in a car accident, and I'm not coming back to work. Here's the communication that's going to go out to the employees. Here's who's going to be the key person that's going to disseminate the information to our clients. And we don't want anybody making stories up because it's real easy for us to, to, to scare our clients with Nancy's been in a car accident. Oh my God, we don't know when she's coming back. And all of a sudden right. freaking out versus the account manager. There's one document that goes out an email. It's, you know, it's worded correctly. Everything's fine. We wish Nancy the best of health, but until she's back, this is their key person to point to contact um, business as usual. So really coming up with a communication plan, coming up with the protocols. If you pass away, do you want all the credit cards canceled? Do you want, I mean, you have to find out what client, what your, what your employees are working on. So yeah, having those, those steps in place. We have a business protocol plan, which we walk through business owners with, which is based off of my husband's um, closing down his office because I canceled his malpractice insurance. Guess what? He had a lawsuit filed against him after his death. And the first thing the probate attorney asked me, did you cancel the malpractice insurance? I was like, yes, I did. He's like, you shouldn't have done that until probate's over. So just those little things like walking a business owner through who's your banker, who's on the accounts, who's going to make payroll, that was the other thing. I got to make payroll for my husband's law office for at least two or three cycles while he was sick and after he passed away to, until I could close down the office. What is your desire for your business? Who have you talked to in your industry that would say, you know what, I'll take it over if? What communication, what type of partnerships are you talking to your um, industry professionals about wanting to move the business over if something happens to you, whether it's a disability and you're not going to be back at work for a while or whether you pass away? what that legacy is so that your, your family, your husband doesn't lose the income and the hard work that you put into your business. Um, because that's what happens. I did not know that the $300,000 in outstanding invoices that were due to my husband through judgments, people owing him money and clients and settlements was my job as the executor to go after for the business. I had no idea. 
So I think from a business owner standpoint, you know, walking them through, we have to have these difficult conversations. You're not going to want to have to you know, make a decision today, but you need to let your wife know. You need to let your key people know what's going to happen in the event you're disabled or you pass away. What's going to happen to the business? It's amazing points and it's definitely something I'm going to be bringing up with my clients because uh, and taking some of those those <laughs> tips in for myself as well. Really fantastic. All right. So this one's a little personal and a hard one for a lot of people. What happens to pets? Mm. What do people need to think about if they have pets? Yeah, that's like um, <laughs> you love your animals, right? Your footed yeah. friends that never let you down. Um, you know what? Fostering. So two things I will say. Uh, an attorney very early on was like, you know, what's really popular right now is that people are buying life insurance policies and they're setting up pet trust. So they're asking a friend if something happens to me, you know, will you take my pets and you will receive the life insurance. It'll go through a pet trust. And that is to pay for vet bills, food and taking care of them. Usually friends will say, sure, no problem, you know, because they're hoping that nothing really happens to you. Um, but that is one one goal that you can set aside for your pets so that they are taken care of after you're gone. Um, the other thing is, you know, looking at fostering, you know, who's going to foster if you're sick and in the hospital? There's plenty of you know pet fosters out there we work with here in Texas that, that work all over the state of Texas for us when there's a loss. And then, of course, talking to family members and saying, hey, if something happens to me, would you be willing to take my animals? Um, you'll find out really quickly who your friends are and who wants to have four dogs. I don't think I can handle anymore. Um, yeah, so it, it is, it's, um, it's a chore and your animals do grieve. Um, that is one thing that I've walked into homes and the families are like, you know, my dad, this was his dog and the dog won't get off the bed. You know, we're having a hard time. It's walking around. It looks like it's not doing well. I'm like, take him to the vet, let the vet know because the vet needs to be in contact and you know, see if they can take care of the animal. It could be an underlying condition with your pets. So um, take care of them as well as getting yourself to a doctor, get your pets to a doctor. Wonderful advice. So 2020 and 2021, I think I've made grief, have amplified it. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for because of the isolation that, that occurred in many cases, the inability to um, have a funeral for some people. Uh, people couldn't get to each other to, to support each other in going through difficult situations. I think it's been really challenging. And I think a lot of people are carrying around a lot of grief, mm -hmm. um, not only for the death of loved ones, but also um, loss of normality. So I think it's really amplified it. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, um, you know, when you open a seltzer bottle and it starts to, it's going to explode. Yes. Quickly tighten it up. Um, that's kind of how I feel like a lot of people went through COVID and, and grief during COVID. There were some families that um, there were a number of people that were referred to us for suicides that had happened in 2019, maybe 2018, beginning of 2020. And then all of a sudden they had to go home, you know, and work from home. And all of a sudden they're in the space that they have to process and feel and they're working from that. Um, so I would always tell people like, you know, imagine that you're that seltzer bottle. There's two things that need to happen. One, um, you need to let that go as much as we want to stop it. You know, you see somebody crying, Oh, you know, stop, you know, no, don't cry. Um, you need to let people to process because a lot of us have been just bottled up and we need to let that lid go and let our, our emotions come out and grieve, grieve the, the, the life that we had in 20. 
20, early 2020 and 2019, um, because there are people that are no longer with us. For every person that passes away, there's five, at least five people that are affected. So if it's not five family members, um, it could also be five employees, coworkers. And with coworkers not being able, us not being able to be around each other when we lost a coworker to COVID or to some, maybe something that was affected by COVID, you know, it was, you know, it was non-related um, through mental health or something else, we tend to bottle it up. And so I kind of look at grief as what we're all going through is we're a bunch of bottled up seltzer bottles and seeing it. <laughs> a good description. Right? We're seeing it in airports with people having, you know, short tempers and we're seeing it in restaurants and we're seeing it, we're seeing it more and more as people start kind of doing this um, cannonball approach of, you know, we were all at home and all of a sudden it was like back to work. And, you know, it's like being shot out of a cannon, you know, so people are not one, they weren't paying attention. They were just going through working, working, working. We did not have the downtime between our appointments from travel to be able to have a client appointment and then travel that 15 or 10 minutes to the next appointment to kind of, whew, what was that? All yep. Right. So when you were on Zoom and we're going, 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 going um, for a lot of people, they just stacked their lives. They made it so, so compacted that they did not allow themselves to have those moments of, whew, you know, I'm not sure what I'm feeling, but it feels weird. Or hearing that a coworker that you um, sat next to who's now at home or passed away that I can't even like tell them something that I, I to tell them how special I thought they were. Um, and then I can't go tell their spouse. So really crazy times. Um, I will say that through grief for me, I've spent a lot of time calling random people that I don't normally call, you know, people that are in my phone system. They're like, Hey, I was just calling to check on you. How are you holding up? Um, one of my best friends is a hospice worker and he does that to me once or twice a week. How are you holding up? You know, it's Tuesday. We got through Monday. How are you holding up? Having those people around you to do the check-ins, Allison DePauly again, she checks in on me and sometimes she'll say I have two minutes until I have to get on a call. How are you doing? Great. No problem. Great. Talk to you later. You need to have those people around you because especially during the last, um, 18 months, we've done nothing but bottle ourselves up. So if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling like you need to process something, let yourself process. And if you see somebody and they start to cry, ask for permission if you want to hug them, if you want to console them. But most importantly, hand them a box of Kleenex. I always put my purse and hand it, well, just say, here, put it next to them and say, don't just let them go because that is like the start and stop, you know we're starting, we're stopping, we're starting, we're stopping. And I know that I don't like to cry in front of people, but when I do, it scares my kids because <laughs> they're like, Oh wow, where did that come from? Um, yeah. And yeah. So I think that from the grief standpoint, you know, really paying attention to ourselves and um, doing our own check-in and saying, yeah. you know, am I that seltzer bottle? Because I'm feeling like I could probably top off on somebody um, that, and it's all because I'm just not letting it yeah. go. It's it's interest. It's been interesting to me because some of the people that have stepped up were people I didn't even know that well, to be perfectly honest. But they they saw a need and they just kind of like you said with Allison, and she checked in on me as well. But I mean, just just that nice little brief check in. Just I don't know. It kind of reset me. It made me feel okay. It was like okay, I'm not alone. I'll, right. It's all it's all good. So yeah. all right. So <clears throat> deep breath. We're gonna move on to the fun funner. <laughs> Um, I, I could, we could really go for a very long time, but in the, in the interest of time, we will move on. Mm -hmm. So um, every one of my shows always ends with my five burning questions and they're mm -hmm. lighthearted um, to kind of wrap it up on a, on a fun note. So I always start with, 
tied into the name of the podcast, what's your favorite food and can you cook it? Oh, yeah. Um, I love enchiladas de mole. And it's um, mm. something that was my mom's uh, love language, as my daughter-in-law says. Um, so I can cook it. And uh, usually Christmas Eve, people that say all year long that they don't like it are knocking on my door trying to get it. So that would be my favorite food. Awesome. Okay. So what is the one character trait that you admire most in other people and why? Oh, um, honesty, uh, transparency. You know, I would rather have somebody tell me, you know, Esther, I, I'm not understanding what you do. I'm not understanding this or I'm confused um, or I'm feeling this way. And can you help me? Uh, honesty to me is a, a great trait. Um, and I find that most of my friends that are in my circle are the ones that can say, I can say to them, be honest. And they know, okay, yeah, I need to be honest with you because I don't, you know, you don't want to have people around you that are always yes people. Right. You need to have those, those honest, transparent people around you to say, mm, that wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. Yeah. <laughs> good constructive um, input for you. Yeah. Okay, so if I flip the mirror on you, what's the character trait um, that you admire most or you're most proud of about yourself and why? Oh, I would have to say my empathy for others. I can actually sit somewhere and feel um, that somebody's going through something by their body language, by their words, by their their just the feelings, the way they're holding themselves. Um, and I would say that, you know, going through everything that I went through and starting this company and it's it is a true um leap of faith to start something new and have to explain it to people and tell them, this is how I compliment what you do. Um, but in the moment when I'm with a family or somebody is hurting the empathy that I, that I'm able to offer, um, to clients and to business owners and to employers, um, to make them feel like, you know what, I hear you and I see you and I understand because I've gone through this, but I know it's not the same because no two deaths are the same. Um, but I'm, but I'm here. So I think that my empathy is my strongest suit. I love that. I could see it's, it comes across. So I, I definitely see that. Okay. Here's a fun one. So if you were an animal, what would you be and why? Oh my God. My son asked me that last night when, and I feel like it was from Ted Lasso because there was an episode or something. Um, he was like a panda or a lion. And I was like, well, I think I'd want to be a panda. So um, pandas, you know, of course, Kung Fu Panda, you know, one of my favorite car cartoons that I share with my grandson. Um, but pandas are protected, right? And they make everybody feel good. And you can't um, help but love them because they're cuddly. And I look for their gifts all the time to say hi to my friends, even if I don't have a long time to talk. So I would say the panda. It's funny because I would have picked a panda or a koala for you because you seem like somebody that kind of holds people close and helps them through difficult situations. So that's after only 42 minutes. So <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Okay. So what is your secret talent or something people would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, wow. Um, something that I, a talent, I don't know, my son and my daughter would probably say um, my ability to laugh at myself um, and make people feel comfortable in uncomfortable situations um, and I think that's kind of a talent to be able to say, oh, wow, I I'm, you know, wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a talent, I, I, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not athletic. I'll be the first person to tell you that. Um, it, it, I leave my spin shoes in this, in the bike because I can't, I can't, I you can't unclip them. <laughs> like my son's like, I always know when you've done the Peloton. Um, so I'm not really athletic. Um, but I, I, I think a good talent would be that I just, I'm, 
I'm me, you know, I'm quirky. Um, and I, I don't mind laughing at myself and I, and I like making people feel good about themselves as well. I love that. Okay. Last question. Um, who's the one person that you've connected with on LinkedIn um, or that you follow as, um, you know, a podcast that you listen to that you would love to meet in real person? And before you answer it, our dear friend, Allison, weighed in and said, the mo my most favorite, most generous, kindest people ever. So glad to see you two sharing your wisdom. So we love you, Allison. Um, okay. So to meet. Wow. Um, well, the first person that he doesn't have a podcast yet, but I feel like he will soon is um, John Troutman. Don't we all love John? I love him. Um, and so I feel like he's going to do a podcast soon. Um, somebody I would love to collaborate with. I'm just going to put it out into the universe right now. Um, but, you know, I mean, from a podcast standpoint, gosh, uh, Mike Michalowicz, which I'm not sure if anybody is familiar with oh. him and he is kind of a business coach and he talks about profit first and really coaching small businesses into making money into being successful. So he is somebody that I really admire. He's not in our insurance um, circle. And so I would have to say that that would be kind of outside the loop. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of awesome people. I love Paul Wilson with um, Benefits Pro. You know, of course, he's just amazing. And he's in one of my favorite cities, Denver. Yes. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that that's kind of a hard one for me because I'm just now stepping into the podcast. You know? I mean, I know Allison's been there for a while and um, she's been joining. She's a leader. Her and I were so good at just kind of being side by side. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What, what did you spend money on? What are, you know, um, so I know she's been doing a podcast and um, super happy for her. But no, um, I don't I can't think of anything. I'm, I'm hoping you me like three. I think you did amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I was like trying to get on. You need to ask going go one, two, three, go. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I just really want to thank you for your time so much. Um, I know that there uh, were a lot of people that were excited to hear this. Um, uh, Kelly Ortega just weighed in. Excellent mm -hmm. episode. Um, important information and resource. Thank you for sharing. I know there's people that um, personally had reached out to me that told me they were going to listen because they've gone through loss. I know that they probably uncomfortable sharing um, publicly, but hopefully this has touched a few people and that you found resources. Please reach out to Esther um, if you or you know somebody that's going through some, something like this. If for some reason you can't get in touch with Esther, reach out to me and I will connect you with her. Um, but I think this is very valuable information and it's something that we need to talk about more. So um, thank you again so much, Esther, for joining us. And thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next week.